0: everybody welcome to this episode of the heart podcast today i'm talking all about the use of physician judgment how good are we at predicting patients with obstructive coronary artery disease based on our judgment alone i'm joined by dr chris Fordyce from the university of british columbia and we have an interesting discussion about the use of risk scores in stable chest pain versus physician judgment i hope you enjoy the show Uh, Hi Chris, many thanks for joining me on the podcast today. Perhaps I can start off by have you introduce yourself for the whole audience. Um, Who are you, where do you work, and what do you do?
1: Thanks very much for having me here today. I am a cardiologist at the University of British Columbia and assistant professor. I'm also the director of the Cardiac Intensive Care Unit at Vancouver General Hospital. I was also a clinical research fellow at the Duke Clinical Research Institute, um, back 2014 to 2016, uh, this work derives uh, from the PROMISE trial, and we have ongoing, um, you know, research uh, related to that.
0: Fantastic, and Chris, I really wanted to get you on the podcast to discuss a paper which, as you say, emerges from the PROMISE trial, uh, which is called "Physician Judgment in Predicting Obstructive Coronary Artery Disease and Adverse Events in Chest Pain Patients." Um, maybe we could uh, start off by you giving us some background to this paper. Uh, what prompted this study and, and what were the unanswered questions that you're trying to address here?
1: Yeah, Thank you very much. Physician judgment is really a tenant of what we, we learned starting in medical school. And it is sometimes hard to define. You know, it can take into account risk scores, but also overall clinical impression, patient sitting in front of you, perhaps your physical exam and other investigations you might have. Um, at that point uh, concerning the patient. Um, that being said, it's not an entity that's been well studied in, in many conditions. Um, some conditions, such as the evaluation of pulmonary embolism or pneumonia, perhaps a little bit better studied and, and utilized in daily practice. Um, physician judgment is certainly something I think we would all agree uh, is used when we are evaluating um, patients uh, with stable chest pain. In terms of uh, investigating them and uh, trying to rule in or rule out obstructive coronary artery disease Um, in fact physician judgment as you know in this audience is well versed is is a key tenant of the uh, uk nice guidelines for Mm. the evaluation of chest pain and in fact is incorporated in the most recent european and american guidelines for chest pain but again not fully studied not really explored and There was an opportunity in PROMISE because the site investigators were asked a priori um, what they felt was the risk of obstructive coronary artery disease in patients enrolled in the PROMISE trial prior to any non invasive investigations. So there was an opportunity um, as a secondary analysis to compare the role of physician judgment and estimate of obstructive CAD compared to standard risk scores. um, really was the foundation and clinical question for this study.
0: And following on, do you think you're able to give us a, a very brief overview about the the different society guidelines for stable chest pain? So Absolutely. the ones that uh, are, are prevalent in the US, Europe, and of course, the NICE guidelines that UK listeners will be familiar with. Absolutely. So, the, you know, we'll focus on the US guidelines,
1: the contemporary US guidelines when promised uh, was published was, was based on the 2012 guidelines, which used the you know the, the Diamond-Forrester score, um, and really uh, you know physicians were to calculate a pretest probability of obstructive CAD and based on that consider noninvasive testing. Um, even the newest U.S. guidelines, which were just published a few months ago, uh, do have a sort of a modified Diamond-Forrester um, or more updated pretest probability table. Um, but they also um, use pretest probabilities. Um, the European guidelines uh, published in 2019 also used um, sort of updated pretest probability tables. Um, both of these guidelines, as I mentioned uh, previously, do mention that when we have this sort of intermediate or indeterminate pretest probability, in the US guidelines, it's sort of in the less than 15%, and in the European guidelines, it's in the 5 to 15% range. Uh, Clinical judgment should be used, Um, but again, that has never really been explored, but it's interesting that it's in there because I think everybody appreciates that clinical judgment is still important. Hmm. Um, In contrast, the UK NICE guidelines several years ago essentially eschewed the the concept of pretest probability, and really the rationale or the indication for non-invasive tests was purely based on clinical judgment. Um, So um, that's sort of where we stand uh, currently.
0: And just remind me the Diamond Forrester score for people who are perhaps not used to to calculating it, or you, can you just give us an idea of the elements that go into making up that number?:
1: Yes, the practitioner is supposed to take into account age sex and typicality of the chest pain okay and based on that, we can calculate a pretest probability um, and um, based on that pretest probability, um, you know patients are categorized into sort of low intermediate high yeah and um, and these patients are then, you know, generally patients in the intermediate category should 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 receive non-invasive testing.
0: Got you. And um, you've already half introduced the study, but if you could maybe go into a little bit more detail about the the population you studied and and what you were setting out to do in the uh, in the study, that would be really helpful. Absolutely. So um, I think, as this
1: audience knows, the PROMIS uh, was the largest randomized clinical trial evaluating a strategy of anatomical with CT coronary angiogram versus functional testing uh, for the diagnosis of coronary artery disease in patients with um, stable chest pain, and then also looking at uh, heart outcomes uh, over a 25-month follow-up period. Um, And as I mentioned to you earlier, the physicians or site investigators were asked a priori what they felt was the probability of obstructive CAD. Um, so what we did in PROMISE was we took patients in the randomized to the uh, CT coronary angiogram arm, and um, we we stratified patients into a low, uh, intermediate, or high probability of obstructive CAD based on the a priori site investigator uh, responses. We then also uh, group patients into the same categories uh, based on the Diamond Forrester estimates, as well as the the ESC pretest probability estimates from the 2019 guidelines. Um, We looked at agreement between these scores. We also then looked at um, the actual prevalence of obstructive coronary artery disease according to each of these scores um, uh, separately. And then we also were able to look at uh, you know, prognostic implications, uh, the association of risk estimates uh, within each of these uh, scores or physician judgment and, and outcomes.
0: Because of course you had CT scans on every patient and then you also had, as you say, 25 months of follow-up uh, to, to look for events, right?
1: Exactly. Now, you know, the caveat of course is that um, you know, these pretest probability scores are not looking at prognosis necessarily. Right. Right, But it's more diagnosis. However, we felt that that would also obviously be important for the patient.
0: Absolutely. Okay. And, and Chris, what methods did you use uh, in terms of um, uh, getting the data and then analyzing the data to give us the outcomes?
1: Yeah, so just very briefly, um, you know, we looked at agreement using the Kappa statistic. Uh, we, you know, we did sort of standard logistic regression uh, to when we looked at uh, the association between uh, risk and obstructive CAD. And then um, standard sort of COX proportional hazards, again, looking at the association between degree of risk and sort of outcomes. And we looked at standard outcomes, including death MI, uh, unstable angina hospitalization, as well as CB death MI and uh, unstable angina hospitalization.
0: Okay, and what were your main results?
1: Well, uh, yeah, I thought it was quite interesting. So, you know, number one, physicians were more likely to... um, uh, estimate a low pretest probability of obstructive CAD compared to both Diamond Forrester uh, as well as the ESC score. There was very poor um, agreement uh, between physicians and these other risk scores. The kappa statistic was uh, 0.16. We found that physicians who estimated either intermediate or high pretest probability compared to low, there was a significantly increase uh, observed prevalence of obstructive disease with uh, sort of an adjusted hazard ratio of one point four in the intermediate and three point three in the high. Uh, this was also seen uh, in the ESC score, but not uh, in the um, but not with the intermediate uh, uh, risk category for for diamond Forester. Um We then looked at outcomes and what we found is that um, uh, physicians who estimated patients to be at high risk of obstructive CAD, um, those patients were significantly more likely to uh, experience uh, um, either death or CV death and the composite outcome compared to those categorized in the sort of low risk. Um, this was not seen actually using either the Diamond Forest or, or um, uh, the ESC risk score.
0: Okay, so... In other words, uh, so compared to Diamond-Forrester and the ESC estimates, physician judgments more accurately identified both obstructive CAD and worse patient outcomes. Uh, was the the first line of your conclusion there?
1: Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and on average, exactly. And, on average, um, you're right. Especially compared to, to the Diamond-Forrester uh, score, which is uh, you know now really no longer used. But but also, I think what was surprising was was that the ES, you know, the physician judgment perform better in terms of predicting outcomes compared to the ESC score.
0: And the ESC score, again, uh, is a similar kind of construct to the Diamond Forester, isn't it, incorporating various risk factors to come up with a pretest probability, is that right?
1: Yeah, it's similar. You know, they're updated with more contemporary cohort, but it is similar. Although it's interesting, as I mentioned, in, in the sort of indeterminate or in- intermediate group with a pretest probably of 5 to 15%, uh, the ESC score does advocate for physician judgment. But you're right, though, it is, it is a similar construct.
0: Okay. And what were the most surprising results, if any, from your study? Were you surprised how well physician judgment did or um, how poorly Diamond Forrester did? Or
1: I think I was a little bit surprised. I mean, I was pleasantly surprised. I, I mean, I think there was no doubt that, um, you know, is, is this sort of the, the final nail in the coffin for Diamond Forester? I think there's no doubt that Diamond Forrester tends to overestimate risk. And that was from, you know, much older data. It was useful for many years or decades. Um, So that it wasn't surprising in that sense. Uh, I guess we were a little bit surprised that even compared to a more contemporary cohort and contemporary uh, uh, scores such as ESC pretest probability, that physician judgment performed um, not only as well, potentially, but even a little bit better.
0: I wonder if there was any, and you may not have this data, but just thinking off the top of my head, I wonder if, should we say more mature physicians with uh, more years of practice under their belts? Uh, did better than, uh, say, physicians, you know, fresh off the training conveyor belt? Yeah,
1: um, that's a really great question. And actually, um, you know, reviewers have have sort of brought that up. We unfortunately don't have data on training or time since uh, fellowship, etc. We we do know that um, the majority of physicians uh, identified as cardiologists, uh, you know, sort of 87% followed by internal medicine specialists. So, uh, and of course, these are North American physicians, predominantly Americans. So it's it's hard to um, certainly uh, disentangle the level of experience or training. But because this was quite a pragmatic trial, you know, in both academic and non-academic or community sites, I think this is sort of generalizable. But um, who was better? It's it's hard to say. I mean, who <laughs> knows? Maybe the the trainees do do a pretty good job.
0: Right. I guess so. Yeah. You you never know, do you? <laughs> um, and how do you think these findings might affect the the next? set of guidelines? Have you got any thoughts or insights into that?
1: Yeah, it's, it's a really great question. I mean, I think, first of all,
0: clinical judgment is used in all three of the
1: sort of contemporary guidelines. And I think that this just, number one, reinforces the fact that this is still an important entity, and, you know, versus simply an algorithmic sort of entity. And, and certainly with, you know, the EMRs, electronic medical records, um, where we can sort of have sort of decision support and Um, thrown in there i think that perhaps this is that is not a substitute for for physician judgment i think probably um you know we need to be thinking about incorporating physician judgment into uh, some of our risk scores um in the future and um and and, you know this is done routinely as i mentioned in in you know conditions like acute pulmonary embolism for instance um and, and we use that all the time right um, you know the well score for instance right exactly. so um i think that you know this really not only supports the guidelines but really emphasizes uh the importance and perhaps future research will incorporate physician judgment and then getting more granular in terms of as you mentioned characterizing the type of physician the you know the level of training the experience since graduation things like that will be very important to tease
0: this out. and i wonder if there are any implications that you can think of to, for training of the next generation of doctors, I guess, reinforcing the, the 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 crucial importance of taking a good history, right, and a physical exam.
1: Yeah, and and uh, I think that this definitely, you know, as as someone who does work with a lot of residents, fellows, and medical students, I'm not a not a formal educator, but I think number one, this this does, you know, we need to listen to the patient. <laughs> we need to right. take a risk score, but also take all the other investigations. You know, examine the patient. And, and and you know be thoughtful physicians and i think this really supports that that aspect uh, versus more of a, co- a cookie cutter um you know uh, um, perhaps um approach and i think you know i mentioned i'm not a formal medical educator but i think there's an opportunity here for medical educators who really um study and implement you know the best practices to you know it, within medical education starting in medical school i think this is this supports that type of work and i did know reference uh, we did reference a paper um you know looking at sort of bayesian analysis within the manuscript so um i think this is supportive of of, um, of of that sort of whole patient whole person sort of approach
0: yeah it's very very tempting isn't it to keep your head buried inside the emr as you say typing away and uh, checking those boxes but usually very often the patient will kind of give everything to you without uh, you know too much more uh, information from the emr being needed i agree Anything else you'd like to to share, Chris? Have you got any other studies coming out from the PROMISE data that you think people would be interested to see or any other work in this area?
1: Yeah, it's, it's a great question. So I just wanted to, um, uh, very appreciative of the opportunity to work with PROMISE and, and, you know, Dr. Douglas has been an amazing mentor and, uh, and others at Duke. Um, I think PROMISE has been really an opportunity, like a real amazing opportunity to really change clinical practice and, and what we know about, you know, how to, how to investigate these patients with stable chest pain. I think, there's over 50 publications, maybe even 60, I think, coming out of promise. Um, um, I think there's an opportunity here to, to really focus a little more on physician judgment. Uh, obviously we don't have the granularity and promise to explore that further. Um, I'll just uh, highlight, uh, you know, uh, a lot of this physician judgment or a lot of these pretests probably the focus has been to look at patients who, uh, for whom who have chest pain, for whom we should not actually test immediately sort of this concept of, of deferred testing. Mm-hmm. And in Promise, we, we did look at that and look, you know, sort of creating this minimal risk score, patients with stable chest pain who do not derive benefit from non-invasive testing. And uh, I'll just say that, uh, you know, building on promise, sort of the next trial, which um, hopefully will be presented and published later this year, is the PRECISE trial, which actually will incorporate, um, um, you know, ironically, using a risk score to sort of uh, identify patients who may um, uh, not uh, you know, we can, who can be safely deferred in terms of testing. And then those who need to be tested, uh, looking at CTFFR is perhaps the next step up in terms of uh, identifying those patients who may uh, benefit from, um, you know, eventual invasive coronary angiography and um, and potentially revascularization.
0: Excellent. Well, I uh, look forward to to seeing those presentations and hearing those results in due course. It's been really good to, to chat to you today. Uh, thank you so much, Chris, for your time.
1: Well, thanks again. And thanks uh, for the opportunity. I appreciate it.